0: Somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Well, hell yes, Mr. Robert. Thank you very much. It's me, Mike, Mike Davidson lives. Thank you for downloading the latest podcast. As I try to get through this next half hour or so with you listening, appreciate it as always. Quite a bit to get through, including a pretty important pretty significant rip uh get to that in just a few moments but um, uh good news on personal front hazy my middle daughter um, my middle child she uh she had ear surgery this past friday everything went well basically she was just getting tubes in her ears to help her hear better but uh just to give you an idea of how resilient kids are uh, you know she was uh scheduled to go on at 6:30 at uh the operating place you know the hospital um, and uh, I thought she was going to be out for quite a bit, but uh, they had her done by 9 o'clock and uh, she was climbing the walls, being obnoxious, being a kid, uh, by, n- by 10 a.m. She was back to her normal self. It didn't take much time at all, but uh, she's doing very well. Glad to see it. And uh, of course, when you see things like that, you're like, okay, there's nothing to be nervous about. And hopefully her ears can heal pretty easily Um, this documentary has been out for quite a bit but uh, we recently just got Hulu so I finally got to see Batman and Bill over the weekend Um, documentary about uh, the late Bill finger a a comic book writer who was uh, uh, I would say fairly significant in creating Batman everybody knows that uh, Bob Kane is the creator of Batman and he kind of came up with the concept Bill added a few things though, like, um, the dark look with, uh, the cowl and the, and the cape, and of course he added the, uh, origin, the tragic origin of Batman. He also created Robin and Commissioner Gordon, uh, Catwoman, Riddler, Scarecrow, Penguin, co-created the Joker apparently with uh, another comic book creator, also, uh, created Gotham City, and the Batcave, and the Batmobile, I mean, basically, he pretty much came up with at least 95% of what Batman was, but never got any of the credit until like uh, 2015, some litigation and everything, but um, if, if you get got Hulu, you don't even have to be a comic book fan to watch, just go watch it, this is, this is actually a story I was uh, familiar with back in high school, I read an article about Bill Finger. And i uh, you're kind of conflicted because I am a big Batman fan, but uh, Bob Kane kind of comes off as a dick in this documentary. And Bill, uh, of course, uh, didn't get his credit until years, decades after his death, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, if, if you ever read a Batman comic book or watch a Batman movie, a lot of what you're seeing has uh, been influenced by... Bill Finger, but uh, check that documentary out. All right, uh, NFL draft get got done. Uh, Anthony Robinson, new quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. uh, Got some thoughts about that because I I I, I watched the draft a little bit Thursday, the first round anyway. Excuse me, and uh, very interesting podcast. Um. Yeah, the, the two best quarterbacks went fairly quickly. Uh, one to Bryce Young went to Carolina, and divisional rival Houston got C.J. Stroud, one guy I wanted. So you know, by the time the fourth pick came around, it was going to be Will Levis who didn't get drafted at all in the first round. And then um, there's just some other other quarterbacks, but they went with uh, the dark horse, this uh, sophomore with statistically a weak season this past year but somehow decided to go into the nfl draft and a lot of people are talking about how they like this pick because he's raw he's athletic but uh, i it's one of those things is like if you're a sophomore you, you have to be the next best thing and i statistically looking at some of the stuff that he put up in florida not seeing it so this could be um let, let me put it to you this way uh jacksonville jaguars had a pretty decent season in the AFC South. I don't see anybody contending with those guys for another three years. Um, So yeah, ask me again at the end of this season what I think of Anthony Robinson. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I think this was a guy that went way too early uh, into the pros, but whatever, he's going to get paid. All right. so uh, earlier this afternoon, uh, or yeah, it was a Wall Street Journal they put out a thing about uh, jeffrey epstein no he is not the r.i.p because he's more of a burning hell type of guy but uh, apparently the um, the this wasn't a list this was basically his appointment book and uh, the new documents which belong to this guy show that even on his uh... account is um, in his account but uh, his calendar he had appointments with uh... A bunch of high prom- profile individuals, one of which includes now CIA Director William Burns, uh, a couple of people that are higher up, including a member of the Obama administration, Noam Chomsky, <clears throat> and uh, president of Bard College, Leon uh, Botstein. Now, there has not been any confirmation that he met with any of these people because, again, this was all scheduled. Um, I think the first year he was in jail. Um, Bolstein, uh, the, the president of, um, of, Bard uh, College, this is kind of telling. Uh, he said he did visit with Epstein in 20, 2012 and thanked him for the unsolicited donations. Uh, met him several times after an effort to receive more donations. Uh, and he says, we looked him up and he was convicted of, uh, he was convicted of felon for a sex crime. Um, and he noted that there's an educational program to assist prisoners because they, quote, believe in rehabilitation. Well, yeah. And I'm sure a lot of those prisoners made significant contributions uh, to your um, to you know, your university. Uh, but we believe in rehabilitation. If you know anything about Jeffrey Epstein, um, if you've been living under a rock the last uh, 10 years or so, he's not a good dude beyond rehabilitation. Of course, now he's dead. Uh, But kind of looking at this calendar, I mean, not to get all conspiracy minded, because, again, this is just the uh, the appointment calendar. But when you see a guy who uh, becomes director of CIA penciled in for an appointment, it makes you kind of go, hmm. And uh, things in his life, the last few years of his life seem a little less natural, if you know what I mean so uh pretty interesting stuff I do have that linked up on the Mike Davidson Facebook page uh, this this whole this whole article but uh, I'm sure we'll find out a few more things uh, later on down the way okay so the RIP I'm talking about of course is the late great Jerry Springer he uh, unfortunately passed away earlier this past week at the age of 78 uh, it was revealed that he had pancreatic cancer and uh, this was a recent diagnosis uh, and that's it was in the later stages not a whole hell of a lot you can do and uh, if not that there's a fun version of cancer out there for people to get but th- this is pretty much the worst version of cancer you can get pancreatic cancer uh 78 years old though aside from that a pretty good run uh especially for somebody that um, claims jokes to be the uh uh the the cause of the fall of western civilization i and if you've ever seen the jerry springer show yeah uh, there's a lot to unpack there i mean this this guy this guy had uh, parents who were holocaust survivors uh got into politics in cincinnati i uh, got in trouble as a councilman because uh he paid a prostitute with a check and uh, you know, of course the prostitute went to go check cash the check uh was mayor of cincinnati did some stuff locally with the news after his career in politics and then got into the whole talk show thing back in the 90s where of course uh in the later stages of that year of uh, his talk show career it basically became a circus where uh uh you know clansmen and transvestite prostitutes and midgets and a trailer park dysfunction, you know, thruples and threesomes and everybody, everybody went up on stage and just beat the shit out of each other for our amusement. In fact, I see somebody uh, like a, a trans activist really upset about Jerry Springer and talking about how they uh, Jerry sent the movement back. Whereas I'm like, uh, you know, this was a show uh, that did promote equality. Uh, everybody kicked the shit out of each other when you, they were up on stage. Um, but he joked about that being the, 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 fall of Western civilization. I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, cause like if you watched, uh, the Jerry Springer show and, you know, this is a guy, uh, um, who outside of his day job was a pretty liberal dude, politically speaking, he and I probably would have a lot to agree on, but, uh, I think anybody that watched his show within reason knew that, uh, it was circus. It was tabloid. It was trash. It was supposed to be, and it didn't. It, it didn't inspire us to go out and be like these colorful people uh, that were on his show. Um, but the he he d- was not the View. Okay, he was not some of these uh, daytime sports talk shows on ESPN, Fox Sports. He wasn't Skip Bayless. Uh, he wasn't um, any of these uh, TikTok YouTube stars that add nothing to your life and are so vapid and, and so uh, devoid of any thought whatsoever that many people, like, you know, your Andrew Tates or whoever, uh, it wasn't like one of these people whom people tried to build their identity around or uh, base their opinions on. You know, like mean? Jerry was Jerry. And I think television, daytime television, was a hell of a lot better than it is now. Uh, because, again, you can watch the Jerry Springer show and, you know, come away with going, okay, at least I'm not those people. There are actually people that agree with Joy Behar or Skip Bayless on anything. And that scares me a whole hell of a lot because they take those shows seriously. But Jerry did brighten up a lot of our lives, and it it sucks to see that he died the way he did. So, uh, condolences to his family, and uh, hopefully, he's uh, hosting that big freak show up in the sky. All right, so uh, kind of a a few side things about movies here, because as you know, I'm a movie fan. Um, Super Mario Brothers has now made over a billion damn dollars globally uh, even though it bombed in China and that's saying something I mean it's it's just kicking ass uh, over the weekend uh, there's that Judy Bloom book uh, God are you there It's me Margaret or whatever they made it into a movie and it only it only made six million dollars over the weekend it pretty much bombed and what's funny, And kind of sad at the same time is they're blaming COVID for it. Some of these Hollywood insiders are talking about how people are still afraid to go to the movies thanks to COVID. And that's utter bullshit because, again, I'm telling you about Super Mario Brothers. And there's a few other movies out there that just made a whole hell of a lot of bank in the last year and a half. I mean, Spider-Man No Way Home made a lot of money. Uh, Top Gun Maverick made a hell of a lot of money uh, and it was like in theaters for the longest damn time avatar 2 made a lot of damn money and super mario brothers made a lot of damn money like there are legitimate blockbusters post-covid uh... That are doing very well for themselves and the reason is is they found their audience they found their niche and not everybody is a howard hughes germphobe okay so that said the fact that you have these Hollywood insiders still using that as an excuse as to why Hollywood is struggle struggling, um, no, that's that's crap. Um, the the reason that uh, the, God are you there to me, Margaret failed is because nobody wanted to see it, and that's a problem. Um, especially given a story that I want to share with you here in a few moments. All right, so uh, another story. Um, Kind of the realm of superheroes um the fantastic four is going to get a reboot by disney and last year if you know if you were to ask me last year or a year before that uh about this upcoming movie i would say that uh, they have to try again because the fantastic four has had like three versions uh that haven't done well the first one the roger Corman one which didn't see the light of day um it it that one's floating around as a cult classic VHS, but if you look at some of the stills from this movie, you know it doesn't look good. And then you have the one where, um, you know, Doctor Doom was played by that you know, handsome dude from uh, Nip Tuck, and it was just not as good. It was it, you had Jessica Alba as um, the Invisible Woman, and it was moderately successful, but meh. Nah. And then you had the Dark reboot. So now you know you got Disney trying to get the Fantastic Four and the X Men into their universe, and initially I think people were excited about it until you know Phase Five happened. There was a rumor going around this weekend because uh, somebody saw uh, Mila Kunis from that Sunday Show eating with what one of the one of the higher ups involved in the movie, and they're like, "Okay, is she going to play the Invisible Woman?" Well, now for some odd reason, there was a rumor going around that no, she wasn't up for the Invisible Woman she was up for the thing. Uh, yeah, the uh, Benjamin Grimm big rock monster who's a dude in the comic book. And given some of the um, numbers and um, everything else about previous Marvel movies these last three or four years, uh, that that went over well on the, um, the Internet, although she said in an interview she's not involved in Fantastic Four. So... It doesn't look like that is going to be what happens for that movie, um, and, but it does does have a sad commentary as to what Disney is right now when it comes to these characters. Because you know, once upon a time when Marvel the MCU launched, I mean, you know, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man was just great casting, uh, just great casting all around with the roles, and now they're just uh, you know throwing up whatever. Uh, it's almost as if this was to happen, it would be as bad as um, any Joel Schumacher Batman. Uh, oh, okay, we're just going to throw something up, and uh, yeah, we're get, we're getting the character into the theater. Um, but the fact that this rumor had any legs at all this weekend is a sad commentary as to where Disney's going with this character. And I'm not, and I'm not so sure about this Little Mermaid reboot that's coming up in a few weeks, Uh, I've already ranted about it, but uh, they had the character posters come out recently, and people are mortified by the Sebastian Flounder posters because they look realistic, and uh, yeah, it doesn't have, that's the problem about doing live action movies about uh, characters that don't exist in real life, when you're saying, yeah, we're going to make this look realistic in real life, uh, you know, because in real life you also have music, uh, musical numbers like you did in the animated version, and now you have this uh, ugly CGI fish. It's supposed to be live action. Uh, yeah, you're. It's not going to work, and I don't think that this movie is going to uh, be as successful as they thought it was, um, because because of this. Uh, it's it's they're banking on nostalgia. And yet here they are, they're gutting this nostalgia from The Little Mermaid. I don't i don't see it uh, making the projections that they think it will. Okay, so the story that um, could cripple Hollywood is not COVID. It looks to be another writer's strike. Uh, you know, there was one about 15 years back that really, really did a number on Hollywood. It lasted for 100 days, well over three months, and I think it cost um, Hollywood about 2 Billion with the B damn dollars, and this was 15 years ago uh, in terms of um, industrial profit. And so it, it did a number both on the TV and movie fronts, and now you have uh, problems with streaming because everything has gone to streaming, and writers don't know how to really um, write or uh, get compensated for this, which again kind of shows the problem with uh, this, you know, streaming content. Um, you know, you've, you've got all these new shows that you're trying to get on, trying to get numbers up for subscriptions, but there's no real way to compensate. Whereas, you know, if you, the old way, you know, the network television way, even cable television, you would have uh, commercial TV advertisers kind of offset some of those costs and uh, you had ratings to go back on. Now you're going with subscription fees for a whole load of content. And there's not enough money to go around. And sometimes shows get canceled. And, you know, it's a limited run. Uh, So they're trying to strike for that. And it could start as soon as Monday of this week as I'm recording this late Sunday night. Uh, Very interesting to see where this goes. But, um, you know, they've got scripts. They could probably ride this. Hollywood could probably ride this out for a month depending on which project we're talking about. There's some actors and actresses that will not cross-picket lines so they'll strike uh, in solidarity with these writers but uh, there was kind of a stink uh, last week one of the Russo brothers talked about how he can use AI on his laptop to write a movie or uh, compose a movie and some writers are worried about AI as am I because you can't you can't replace the human experience Uh, I have a hard time believing a laptop a computer program can put the human experience can put the imagination of a writer up on a a screenplay up on the screen as well as humans can and i say this knowing full well that hollywood has been giving us shit for like years but it's because they feel like they have to come to an, an imaginary modern audience And instead of having like one or two people working on a screenplay, you can have um, a dozen writers write and rewrite a a movie. But um, that's one possibility they're talking about with the strike. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, we'll find a way to be entertained because that's what we do. And it might be more or less just, you know, turning to other content providers that aren't AI, like on the Internet. Because, you know, there's tons of podcasts out there. Um there's tons of YouTube channels out there and of course you got your you know classic movies and classic TV shows that aren't going anywhere that are available on streamers that's the one good thing about the, the streaming platforms not necessarily the original content but because a lot of these studios have access to older content it's there you can go back and watch classic stuff so it's not like you're gonna to have to put up with a it's not like you're going to have to put up with a bunch of crappy reality shows, which is good. And that's kind of the catch-22 about streaming. They don't know how to make money about this. And uh, writers don't know how to really get compensated for this either. But there is content for you to get distracted with, even as this goes on. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. Um, speaking of uh, things that people don't watch, James Corden, Late Late Show, no longer on. Uh, I guess his last show is Thursday night. And it, you know, this was a the twelve thirty show that came in on after Stephen Colbert. This was a, a show that had uh, a few uh, iterations. Uh, you know, it was uh, Tom Snyder's baby after Letterman, and then when Tom Snyder stepped away, Craig Kilborn, remember him, and then he had Craig Ferguson, and then he had this dude, and uh, you know, they're talking about how it was so innovative because he had uh, car carpool karaoke. Um, and everybody loved it for a bit, and uh, this the, this finale only brought in 1.5 million eyeballs, or pairs of eyeballs, so you're talking about half a percentage of all Americans uh, staying up, tuning in late to see this dude that uh, bitches about ho- restaurant staffs, his send-off uh, from the late night scene, and of course they're canceling the show, so he's the last host just to give you an idea of how well Carpool Karaoke was really received, and you know how much people are really watching uh, this thing. But I, just before I came up here, there's an article I was reading about how like uh, the show cost sixty-five million dollars to produce, and uh, it was only generating forty-five million dollars of revenue. Just to give you an idea of how well it was doing. Uh, and then you th- uh, there's another article where, uh, oh God, I should have linked this up on my Facebook page, but overall, late night revenue over the last five years, all the you know the big shows, I guess, uh, it has decreased forty percent. just to give you an idea of how much late night television has um, fallen in terms of ratings, you know, so you have all these people like uh, Stephen Colbert. You know, uh, kissing President Biden's ass, and uh, you know, just uh, tearing in anybody that disagrees with him or Jimmy Kimmel, uh, who can't let go of Trump and uh, will do anything to cup the Disney company's balls to uh, you know, keep a job. They're losing viewers. They're losing money. Um, nobody's watching, and so you know they have this big finale for James Corden. It's like, who cares? Nobody was watching. That was the problem, and uh, you know. <laughs> They'll be losing 20 million dollars annually for a show that you're producing that's terrible that's bad and nobody and, and uh, i think he was starting out making five million dollars with this con uh this show uh then he gets a contract extension and nobody wanted to talk about the terms of his contract i'm sure that was a big reason why they were okay with cutting big um all right so with all that said and done uh, another late night program this one airs once a week on hbo and that would be Bill Maher. Real Time with Bill Maher. It's been on for a bit, and I'm having to defend him from both uh, Donald Trump and uh, the other, uh, the and uh, those on the left who are just upset that he's not a bootlegger, bootlicker. Uh, because you know Bill Maher is his own thing. I, I guess he had an episode air this past Friday with Elon Musk. He was interviewing him about uh, the woke mind virus. But uh, Donald Trump, yes, Saturday, was um, a little bit of ranting on his uh, on his truth forum, his truth platform, about Bill Maher, bitching and hollering about uh, how bad Bill Maher is and how HBO is fake news. Well, HBO is a premium cable channel; it's not really a news channel, but they do have Bill Maher's program on. Um, and how they need to run counter-programming which to me is just reminiscent of the fairness doctrine and I remember when the right wing talk shows would talk about how bad it is because you know you shouldn't have government determining uh, what you put on your radio station or your TV station and I agree with that wholeheartedly and of course yet they apply the same concept to anything that or left which would be HBO Um, but here's the thing about this, uh, any any human being, any person could come up with a combination of opinions about any freaking thing. Uh, agree or disagree, that person comes to those conclusions however he or she does. Bill Maher is uh, one such person, and he's already run afoul of people on his side of the aisle, and I'll get to more of that here in just a few moments. Uh, but, you know, if, if you're going to run a counter-program to to satisfy Trump and have a right-winger on HBO give his two cents, then left-wing people are going to look at some of the stuff that they disagree with with Bill Maher and uh, want counter-programming to that. And so you're already talking about uh, two hours of TV a week on HBO pretty much eaten up to counter Bill Maher. And if, you know, I'm talking about a hypothetical here. And if you're a a network exec at HBO, you're like, well, we're losing losing programming space because everybody wants to counter Bill Maher and give their two cents in. Uh, Then you start to think, well, what's the point of doing real time with Bill Maher? And so you you cut bait and you don't do the show. You don't do any show. And that's kind of the thing about the, uh, the Fairness Doctrine and why, you know, a lot of radio programmers back in the day didn't want to do it. Because it really eats into how you do the show, uh, which shows you decide to do. It, it really messes up with your programming, and rather than have the headache and the protests, you cut bait. And you know, Trump has said stuff about like this before. That's been kind of really stupid. Like you know, he he talked about how like he would pull CNN's broadcasting license, uh, which is stupid because CNN is a cable network. It doesn't have. A broadcast license, right? Uh, it's the same type of thing that uh, Judd Apatow said about Fox News. Oh, they shouldn't be on. They, they, we need to pull their, you know, broadcast license. Now again, it's cable; they don't have broadcast license. So that's where I'm defending Mar from Trump. At the same time, he's uh, uh, doing this interview Friday night with Elon Musk, and Elon Musk has pretty much turned Twitter into the Wild West, and it's it's very entertaining. But, uh, you know, he's talking about how people have become so woke. And, and, you know, Bill, who is a lefty, agrees. He thinks that people, uh, they get way too butthurt about things. And now he's getting um, uh, flack from uh, fellow travelers on the left. I, and I use that term loosely because they, they're quick to kick Bill Maher a little bit on this. They're calling him a bootleg licker, uh, you know, kissing um. Elon Musk's ass, but again, Stephen Colbert kisses a lot of lefty politicians' ass on his CBS show, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel does the same thing, and he also uh, pretty much promotes anything Disney on his show. Uh, If anything, I think Bill Maher is going to have on a show who he wants to have on, and he's uh, the complete opposite of an ass kiss. He's not backing down from Trump, even agree or disagree, because that's who he is. And he's not backing down from people on his side who uh, uh, are always thinking about their feelings. You know, uh, you know, facts don't care about your feelings, as somebody else would say. Uh, so it's it's uh, kind of a weird, uh, kind of a weird area to be in. But Bill Maher is in it. He's pissing off people on the right and left. And I don't always agree with this guy, but I do support his uh, right to say what he wants to say. Much like Hank Azaria, I want to wrap this up because I am going long. And um, uh, Hank Azaria is still outside, out there doing his apology tour for uh, voicing Apu all those years on The Simpsons. And um, Apu is one of my favorite characters of all time on that show. Uh, you know, it's kind of started out as a stereotype, but uh, you know, pretty cool dude who um, uh, works hard and uh, becomes a father and a husband and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, the reason Hank Azari no longer knows the voice of Apu is because of this uh, alleged comedian slash documentarian who put out that documentary years ago talking about how hurtful Apu was. And I don't even want to say this dude's name, but uh, uh, basically he said in an interview that it got so bad that, uh, Hank Azari, with Hank Azari that he said if, if he saw him at a party, he would kick his ass. And I'm just thinking, you know, here's a guy who's claiming to be bullied because of uh, Apu. And he's pretty much browbeat uh, this uh, talented voice actor into submission. And he's just groveling now, trying to appease a guy who wanted to kick his ass. And that, to me, is more of a bully than anything. If this documentary was the uh, comedian that he would say, look, I'm not saying he has to uh, accept Hank Azaria being the voice of a Apu or like it. But if you're a comedian, you poke holes through it. And that's how you get the conversation going. But now nah, he wanted to go the the Michael Moore route. And now we got people apologizing for jokes. Yeah, that, that is bootlicking. That is uh, butt kissing. Bill Maher uh, having Elon Musk on his show, no. But uh, Hank Azaria continuing to try to appease a guy that uh, basically ruined his voice acting career. It's, it's pretty sad. All right, with that all said and done, I am done. Until next time, stay fresh. Jesus You've God. been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at facebook.com backslash live Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live.